Welcome to The Storytellers, the radio show and podcast that features those who choose to leave their mark on the world through the art of story. I'm your host, Grace Salmon. I look forward to our time together today. Now, let's meet our storyteller. Welcome to episode 100 of The Storytellers with Tracy Barone, film executive, producer, writer, and critically acclaimed novelist. I'm so excited to welcome Tracy to the Storyteller's microphone because she has worked on all sides of the desk. Her career started out in New York where she was a playwright and director. And when she wanted to know even more about how to get her works in front of audiences, she went to LA, embraced the film studios, became a top executive, and has worked at every single important studio that I know of, Columbia, TriStar, Warner Brothers. She was president of one of the Warner Brothers divisions. She has worked on development, as I mentioned, and films that everybody knows about, Men in Black, Benjamin Button, Guarding Tess, and Ali. She's worked on Wild Wild West, Rosewood, and so many others. I love being able to welcome Tracy Brown to the Storyteller's Microphone. Tracy, hello. Hi, Grace. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you and share stories with your audience. Well, I wanted to start right out with that exact thought. Why storytelling? Why is that so important to you? I was a natural storyteller. I mean, I will say that when I was, I couldn't read. And my father would always say, I would sit on his lap and we would have a book and I would make up the story. So everybody thought I knew how to read. But I was just looking at the pictures and telling a story. And that was sort of, that was in my blood. And I think it's the way that I make sense of the world. So that was my, my way. And I wanted to do it in every form. And besides for a few, I think I've done, I've done most, <laughs> most forms of writing. Well, you have done most forms of writing and the production side of the house, the big job president. What's, what's the thing that intrigues you most? Right now, I think it is because I think the world is in such a place where we've had changing technologies, you know, we've got AI and everybody's sort of a flutter. What is this going to mean? What is it going to mean for telling stories? Writers are concerned it's going to kind of replace. How does it fit in with the creative vibe? How are we going to be able to write when everybody can just say they can write because they can punch it stuff in on mm -hmm. uh, chat GPT? But I think more than ever, telling a story, telling how we tell a story, whether we use these new technologies, whether we don't, whether we design immersive experiences, I kind of embrace the technology if it's used in a spiritually and kind of morally conscious way where we can get all different forms of storytelling. I think it's, it's actually really exciting. I agree with you. I'm I'm relatively new to ChatGPT, and as you and I talked in the green room before, I think I have another novel in me, and I asked it to outline a oh, novel you do. that you does do. not exist. So that yeah. it's fascinating. I love with all of the variety that you have done, from the directing to the playwriting to all of the writing, and the very for probably not the most politically correct, big girl job of being in the film industry. Um, I love that your bio talks about you go back to your roots when you wrote your book, which I absolutely fell in love with, Happy Family. Thank you. Talk Thank about you. that. Yeah. Your writing is your roots. 
Well, it, I think it is. I mean, I think if anybody who's got an impulse to write or people who are a lover of stories, it's sort of where your home is. I mean, for me, I loved empowering other writers. I loved being able to see, I kind of think like one of my superpowers was to be able to take, sometimes we'd have all these complex things and you'd have five stories going on, but what is the one that is needing to be told and is the one that's going to be the most compelling, the most propulsive and the most emotionally fulfilling and rewarding story. So it's kind of, I could always see this sort of, oh, this is where it is. And I think for me, wanting to, instead of being behind the scenes and empowering others and you know, I think being a producer, you're a little bit like a handmaiden, you know, a good producer. It's like you want to empower the creative people. You want to be part of the birthing process, but it's not your, it's not really of you. It's not your essence, right? Um, and to me, writing is of the essence. You know, it is, it is telling something that's deeply personal, even if it's not, and being able to kind of filter it through this instrument. And I think that I wouldn't have felt satisfied fully if I didn't come home to writing and 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 weirdly to the one thing I hadn't done which was a novel which was the scariest thing was oh my god how am I going to write a novel I didn't I wasn't a novel I've all this experience in script writing and dramatic writing but it was what called to me and it wouldn't go away and it was just saying you got to write me and eventually I was like okay why was it the scariest I think writing a novel, somebody once told me it's like uh, trying to get out of prison like Leavenworth with just a spoon and you're chipping away and chipping away and you can't see, you've got a little tunnel, but you can't see where you're going and you've got so far to go. So I think it's the, I think it's the length of it or just the fact that you are in such a large story and there's no familiar markers, you know, I mean, screenwriting or writing for tv and film it's very structured you've got a structure like an architect but and you do have some structure in a novel but you know you're just you're just out there for you know days months you know (laughs) chipping away and i think that's that scared me that 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 was that was a little scary at first I think that's interesting because I find writing is I, I describe it as the most naked thing I do that people um, have a window into my soul, whether that whether it's an accurate or not, they they mm-hmm. are they travel a journey with us. Um, but yeah. I was interested that you were talking about it in that manner because when you write for film or the theater, you can go and you can listen to see how people are responding. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I think that when we write a novel, it's out there and then we're not engaging anymore sometimes yeah i mean it's it's and 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 it's kind of like the the reverse right because what is difficult about screenwriting or script writing i guess the general umbrella of script writing is you're not writing for anybody to read it you're writing for very few people to read it and then for it to be made right so it is and if it doesn't go for whatever reason nobody gets to read that work but the beautiful thing is that you and you do have a lot of collaboration along the way but as a novelist, people will read your book. You know, it is out there and those words and the sentences and there's a, the, the poetry uh, language is so important to me. So I don't get to play with that in scripts the way you can in longer form and certainly in the novel, which is, I think my, I, I'm going to say it's my favorite. 
Oh, I'm so glad because, as I said, Happy Family was one of my favorite reads this year. And part of it was uh, your beautiful use of language. Um, I had so many things highlighted, but uh, you talk about the character, um, talking about Catholicism was like a borrowed dress she'd worn so long it conformed to all of her curves. And I, the imagery to that as somebody who grew up Catholic was just absolutely amazing. Um, but you touch on so many issues about adoption and belonging. Um, you talk about uh, things that just made me laugh out loud because I ate so many Howard Johnson clam rolls and they were right. <laughs> I know, they, right? They that were right. It. It's so, I know. Yes. And uh, bazooka bubblegum. Yes, I, I grew up on Long Island, so I was right there with some of these characters. But you tackle head on some really family dysfunction. Do you want to talk about that? I think that one one of the things, one of the themes that I was writing in, in Happy Family, and I think is so interesting, just the idea that sometimes it takes half a, half a life to come of age. Like, really, we don't come of age until we understand who our parents were and see them not as our parents. And for so many of us that comes later, right? When you have, when you're having kids or when you're thinking about having kids mm -hmm. or you have a crisis or your world falls apart. And, you know, there's so many, it's funny because I just recently did this, it's called the Hoffman process, which is a, which is a sort of a, a therapeutic, but spiritually oriented retreat where you look at patterns that you've inherited from your parents and that we all have these things called negative love syndrome which is from either in reaction to our parents' patterns or because we're adopting them for survival. And so much of that process is about how do you forgive your parents? And it's, um, I hadn't done it before I wrote the book, but I, I think so much of where, who we are and how we hand, hand things down intergenerational is because of these wounds we have, which may or may not be based on the truth. And once we find empathy and compassion and we know our parents' story and we can see how it still lives in us or lives in opposition to us, that's when we can really find um, freedom. And I think for me, dealing with the dysfunction of her family, because she had both this big question, who am I? Because I, she didn't know her biological parents. And I think it's so interesting with adoption, what's bread in the bone, what's nature, what's nurture, what's chance, what's, yeah. you know, it's such a, it's so ripe for exploration. And here you've got this character who's very oppositional in a lot of ways and very, you know, following what you find out later is something that's in her bloodline, but she's in this family that loves her and has all these well, good intentions. Everything starts off with good intentions and then it goes, you know, awry, often horribly. And yet within it, everybody's, in a way, doing the very best they can at that moment. And I think that in exploring the characters, I wanted to show both the mess and the ugliness and the awful behavior, as well as the genuine desire to do good or to do better and kind of where that tension is. And you do that so well. And every single character uh, is so richly drawn. I, I was thinking about... Uh, how potential actors would read this and say, mm -hmm. I want to play this character. Mm -hmm. um, even Cookie, who is, mm -hmm. is important to the story, mm -hmm. but perhaps yeah. not pivotal. Um, she, uh, if she walked into the room, I would know who she is. She's uh, 
would we describe her as a housekeeper, a helper? Yeah. 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 She's, she's a, she's a housekeeper. And, and especially back in the sixties, it was like, you know, it was a, but she becomes Cece's confidant and her supporter. And, you know, I think you had that a lot, especially back in, in those days with women who stayed home and, you know, Cece's very lonely, you know, and Cookie is this sort of ballast to her from like the beginning where she takes her to the hospital when she's losing her baby to, when she's saying, well, you know, I'll offer to kill off your, this guy for cheating on you. So she's, you know, I think that relationship, I didn't have a huge amount of time to explore it in the book, but I, I actually love that relationship. I'm glad you mentioned that. Very much so. You spoke just a moment ago about uh, how we operate in our life based on what we think happened, whether it's true or not. And that makes me think of a piece that you wrote for, um, I believe it was Oprah, called What mm. I Wish I Knew uh, Before Getting Divorced. And that mm. piece also spoke to me. Can you talk mm. about that, please? Yeah, I mean, I I think that it's, it's I guess it must be such a theme for me, but so much of, of how we act it's like and especially with divorce you know i mean it's also like what people don't tell you about being pregnant right or they don't tell you about what happens when you hit menopause it's like there's there's these these things these transitions we go through and so many of us go through them but for me there are these moments and these key moments like i i, I wrote in that piece being in a grocery store and you're always shopping for your family or your husband and all of a sudden, what you bought him would bring me to tears. It's it's not that, I mean, it was a difficult divorce, it was complicated, but this was something that was part of my daily routine and it's not anymore. And it's the little things, you know? I think it's the little things that you don't, you don't you're not prepared for. You're not prepared for how the cycles of grief go. And even if you're complete that this is the right thing, something will just hit you and you'll just be, you know, set on your pin, so. Yeah. French vanilla ice cream for me. I can tell you the aisle it was right. in and I had my hand on the French vanilla ice cream and I was like, oh no, my world is over. And, of course uh, I know. and then you're like, God damn it. I didn't like having that in my, you know, I mean, it's like there wasn't room for it courses. anyway. Yeah, exactly. There was a room and you made me fat and, you know, you could go yeah. into the whole thing. Yeah. No. But, but also there's a wonderful ending to that piece, which I think is a life lesson for all of us. Would you share how you end that piece? Um, gosh, I'm so funny because I wrote that and then I wrote another one for, uh, I think it was the LA times about, um, about the, the end process of after divorce. So I don't know which one you're referring to, but I think, I think this one, are you talking about that one? Because the one the LA I am, I, I was talking maybe. about how the two of you were looking across each other and there was coffee involved and you just. Yes. Yes, exactly. It's like we, and we both realized, I think after all was said and done in court and all this, we both could say, oh God, I wish I had let go of the house sooner, or I wish I'd let you keep that. Or, you know, there was this recognition of what were we doing? You know, and if we knew better or we weren't caught in that, we would have done better. And right. there was a sort of there was a sense of forgiveness, acknowledgement. Wow, I was, you know, I was a real idiot doing that. And he would be like, yeah, and I should have done this. And, you know, that I think gets you to a place of, again, we did the best we could at that time. And, you know, we wish we could have done better. Yeah, I, I think that was uh 
when I look back, my ex and I went out to lunch uh, the day we got divorced and, mm-hmm. you know, people like, how did you do that? And, Mm. Not, I'm not sure I actually know, but I think it was the right thing to do. Uh, we talked a little bit about writing and you being on both sides of the desk. As we are taping this today, the saga of the strike continues in ongoing. Um, ongoing. Uh, talk about that from both perspectives, if you might. I mean, I think, you know, what I think is really interesting about the strike is, you know, you have these moments in time and especially right now, because, you know, streaming is, there wasn't streaming before when we had the other contracts. So anytime you've got a disruptor or you've got um, a new technology or new distribution system, then how do you, how do you, how do you do compensation around it? You know, and I think what's, what's tricky a little bit is because what are we really talking about? Because a lot of, a lot of what the, you know, writers are talking about and understandably so is off of an old model, which is when you had 22 episodes and you had, you know, a network model. And so your residuals were based on certain very specific metrics. Well, those metrics, understandably, from the production side are saying, well, it doesn't apply because this is a different business model, which indeed it is. So I think it's sort of how do you kind of come up with new rules? You know, what are the new rules? How do we have protections that have some kind of teeth for AI? Um, how do we do things, but not, we can't remain fully attached to the way things used to be, right? Because we do have these disruptors and they are new. So I think that's the sort of, that's where the edges, you know, where they're kind of bumping up against the edges of how do we do something that's fair for writers? How do we, how do we not desecrate the whole idea that they're going to be writers or that there's a certain amount of writers or that, you know, what things look like in terms of, especially for television? Um, and how do we get compensated um, in a residual-based model in streaming? And at the same time, I think understanding, well, it can't be the exact old way. So, you know, what what is that? And I and and you know, it's just the two sides have not been. There's been movement recently, which I think is good. And now there needs to be some kind of teeth in what that those offers are. So I, I do believe we'll get there. It it will get resolved. All strikes ultimately do, but uh, they do. It it they is, do. it has taken a while for both sides. I yeah. think audiences yeah. are waiting for it. One of the things I enjoyed reading about in your bio was like you you write to like to write stories with an international appeal. How do you know that? Because I know you have something in the works between a French company and an American company. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's, tell us, tell us about love- that. I love it because I grew up in London. So I was schooled and educated in Europe and I've always had a propensity towards, I guess, what you might call global stories or what are things that, you know, I mean, my character of CC in my book is Italian and um, a lot of my TV and film projects are what what we would say co-productions because they take place mm-hmm. in other locations. Actually, I have two that are set in France. Um, and this particular one is a very loose adaptation of Happy Family. It's using Cherie and other characters, um, but it is sort of a multiverse twist based on who would she be if she was raised by these different people in a multiverse situation. And it's a it's it's between Paris and um, uh, New York. So that is something that I've been working on. I went to Paris last summer, and we were 
ideally going to be going with this right before the strike happens. So we'll see what 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 happens. But I love the idea of creating stories that kind of transcend being just an American story or can sort of also show how unified we are, how specific we are culturally, but how we all are going through the same struggles. So that's I, I, I just love that. Plus, I just love travel. So. Well, now we really need the strike to be resolved quickly so we can exactly. see, this, see this great get, adaptation. Get me to Paris. Exactly. Get you to Paris exactly. and get a, a fabulous adaptation, a loose adaptation exactly. of yes. Happy Family. Tracy, I am honored to have you today. I hope you'll come back. There's so much more to talk about. Love to. Anytime, Grace. Thanks for being on The Storytellers. This has been a copyrighted you, episode of The Storytellers by Grace Salmon and Authors on the Air, Global Radio Network. That concludes this episode of The Storytellers. I'm so glad you could be part of the story today. I hope you share the stories, tell your own, and come back for another episode. Because when our stories are told, everything changes. I'm Grace Salmon. 